Welcome to my study on understanding the book of Acts. These messages were given live during my regular Sunday morning services. Now, while each of these messages are able to help you as a standalone message, I recommend listening from the beginning because they do build on one another. Now, I pray these help you in your journey of understanding God's word. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. Let's get to the message. What we're doing today is we're continuing on in our series, um, Understanding the Book of Acts. Um, we're going to be in chapter 16, and, uh, you know, the as we walk through this, the further and further we get into the book of Acts, the more I begin to draw parallels between the first century church and today, and different things that are going on within the church today, different things that are going on in the first century church. It's amazing how consistent the world is and how consistent the church is in responding to it. It's it's comforting in one side and very discouraging in another, <laughs> uh, because sometimes we respond in ways that we shouldn't, because we've made these mistakes for centuries. Um, but I don't want to—I don't want to make uh, uh, the mistake of making you think that I'm—that I believe that we are going through the same kind of persecution as a first-century church, because we're—because we're not. I mean, I think there's potential <laughs> in different parts of the world. There's definitely potential for very similar things. Um, but the reasoning behind what we go through is still very similar to the way it was in the first century. And the way the first century church responded to things that, that God reacted favorably to versus the way we might respond to something poorly and then God reacts to us poorly. And, and it's amazing how much our attitude towards the world around us affects God's ability to move through us. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today. The title of today's message is that worship is about God, not our circumstances. Being hated and mistreated publicly are becoming more and more commonplace in the world that are around us, the world that's around us, especially for those who stand on God's truth as God's truth. And an interesting thing is going on uh, right now. There are a lot of churches and a lot of people and denominations around the world that are beginning to try to get rid of the authority of God's word, the authority of Scripture. You see this happening a lot. I mean, I'll, and I'm seeing it more and more often. I'm actually been getting prepared to do a series of messages when I get back from sabbatical dealing with this. I'm going to be spending a little more time confronting it from more of a uh, more of an apologetic standpoint in my uh, weekly podcast. And uh, for those of you who aren't aren't familiar with it, um, each week I do a I do a podcast, and it's basically just a just a supplement to the uh, to the messages. It's called Between Meals because between Sundays. Um, if you're not sure how to get there, if you're watching online, the links to the podcast are actually in the uh, uh, in the comment section. And if you're here and you're interested in it, there's these cards that are in the back where you picked up your bulletin, uh, and there's a QR code on the back that'll actually take you directly to the YouTube channel, and you, you can follow other links from there. So feel free to pick one up if you'd like to be part of that. It's actually a lot of fun. Um, but the basic idea is these these people, these organizations, are starting to try to get God's word out of the way. And I find that really, really disheartening um, because if you think about this, anyone who's going to put their faith in Christ and then try to discount the Bible, at the end of the day, you have to ask them what they're putting their faith in. You hear things like this, well, I trust the spirit within, not the book. You see, because it's more important, the spirit, the spirit in me is more important than the book. Really? See, because when you're putting your faith in the spirit within and not the word of God, which, by the way, over a hundred times the Bible refers to itself as the word of God. And a lot of those come from Jesus himself. So when you decide to put your faith in whatever spirit is in you, whatever you seem to be deciding and not the word of God, really what you're putting your faith in is you. And if you were good enough to save yourself, you wouldn't need Jesus. But here's the reality. 
We need Jesus because we're not good enough to save ourselves. <laughs> this is just the way that this works. This is what Christianity is about. It's about him, not us. It's about what he is bringing to us, not what we feel we want to be part of. It's really sad to see it, but it's happening all over the world. I never actually thought I would live to see the day when so much of the church is so willing to embrace a lie at the expense of the truth. But you see it all over the place, especially in the, we'll just say the culture of compromise that we have going on today. So today what I want to walk, walk what I want to do is walk through a short account of Paul's travels where he and his companions encountered a very horrible situation. A very horrible situation. And what I want to focus on today is not the situation so much itself, but how they responded to it. We have to walk through the situation, but it's how, they, how we responded to it. Because in the world that we're in today, the challenges that we faith, face are not kind. I don't know if you, I mean, have, how many of you have been challenged about your faith? They're not kind challenges. And sometimes they come right at you. They're not interested in actually hearing from you. They just want you to know how much they disdain you for what you believe. You know, because Christians are just so intolerant and unfair. But how we respond to these things is important. And when it comes to our worship, it's just as important, if not more important, how we respond to things in the bad times than it is in the good. It's easy to be good when it's good. When things are good, it's easy to be good. When things are bad, we have a tendency to uh, want justice, at least whatever we think justice is. So starting in Acts chapter 16, verse 16, it starts reading like this. It says, it happened that as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Sounds pretty good, right? You're a missionary in a foreign world and you got a cheerleading section behind you following you everywhere. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. Important to note that the girl was, being, uh, was not being hostile or mean. It's important to understand the girl wasn't being hostile or mean. I apologize. That seems like one of my notes actually ended up on the slide. But that's, uh, that's not in the Bible. Very important to understand that I'm not adding text to scripture. Uh, just something that happened with my notes. She wasn't being hostile or mean. She was drawing unnecessary and unwanted attention to Paul and his, and his, uh, and his missionaries. And this is actually really important because there's some things that we don't know about uh, this, this time period. And one of the things you hear me say all, uh, quite often is that we need to remember that the Bible was not written to us, but it was written for us. It was written to a people who lived 2,000 years ago based on their situation. So the references, the cultural references, are theirs, not ours. So we have to understand how they would have seen something. Now, you might look at it and think, why is Paul getting greatly annoyed at this person following behind him going, these are prophets of the Most High God showing us the way to salvation? The reason why he was getting annoyed is because they were in a Roman city. And Rome is a polytheistic society, meaning many gods. And even more importantly, the emperor was seen as a god. It was believed he was a god on earth. 
So now you've got Christianity, who is a mono, it's a monotheistic faith. One God, all the rest of them are wrong. That is a core tenet of our faith. There is one God, one way, everything else is wrong. It's not many roads lead to heaven. There is one road, one door, all of the rest of them are wrong, period. That's really hard to accept today. Imagine back then. You see, Roman cities, you were not allowed to preach foreign religious ideas, especially monotheistic ideas, in a Roman city unless you wanted to get beaten with sticks. Which, guess what happens? They get beaten with sticks. So this girl following behind them, Paul is like, Will you shut your mouth? This is important for us to understand. So Paul fixed the problem and got in trouble for doing it. So I want to point something out that I think is missed an awful lot in this particular section of Scripture, is that when Paul fixed the problem, we have to remember this girl was possessed, was possessed by an evil spirit. She was being used in the process of divination. And what Paul did was heal her. And this girl is proclaiming the truth of God behind Paul and Silas. So something we need to pay really close attention to is that when we're talking about the enemy of our soul, and we're talking about the devil and his actions towards us. Now, you may not believe this. You may not find this comfortable. The devil's very real. Demons are very real. Evil is very real. The devil's real. He don't like you. See, the devil has read the book that you have. He's read the Bible. He knows the prophecies. He knows at the end he loses. See, has one single goal to keep you from God. The goal of the devil is not to, be, is not to convince you to become evil. The goal of the devil is to just simply keep you away from God. If he can keep you away from the very thing that will save you, he wins. He doesn't have to turn you into a Satanist to win. He just has to keep you from the one thing that can bring you salvation and freedom. It's all he's got to do. Here's a really difficult thing that Christians need to understand because we have a hard time with this. If you go back to the words of Jesus in Matthew 7, 22 and 23, it says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name, and then I will declare to them, depart from me, I never knew you. This is a very difficult truth about the church, that if all the devil has to do is make you feel good, make you think you're a Christian, make you think you're serving him, make you think you're operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, but you never actually submit to the lordship of Christ, he wins. This is so hard for us to get a hold of that if the devil can keep you from God by telling you the truth, he will. If the, if the devil can keep you from God by making you think you're a prophet, making you think you're a healer, making you think you have the gifts of the Holy Spirit rolling in your life, he will. If all he has to do is heal you to keep you on the wrong path, he will. Someone coming from witchcraft backgrounds, there's a type of service called kundalini. It's, it's uh, Hindu, I, I believe. If you go to one of their services, you're going to see tongues. You're going to see miracles. You're going to see worship. You're going to see people shaking. You're going to see a lot of things you see in modern Pentecostal services. All the same things happen. What's the difference? One is being done by our enemy. One is being done by our Savior. 
How do you know the difference? It's actually really simple. The Bible tells us that we're supposed to test those things against the word of God. It's the only way to do it. And Jesus says the most important thing you can do is to know me because the miracles don't make a bit of difference. So this, this woman who was screaming out the truth of God was actually acting on behalf of the enemy of our soul, trying to get the very people bringing the gospel of God in trouble, and it worked. As much as we want to see God's victory in this situation, the very first thing we have to see is the enemy's victory in this situation. The enemy won a battle. God won the war. You see, the enemy got Paul and Silas in trouble. The enemy got Paul and Silas beaten bloody. The enemy got Paul and Silas put in jail. But the enemy was forgetting one thing. Paul and Silas understood what worship was. And at that point, everything changed. Starting in verse 19, it says, But when the masters saw their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men's being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive and observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fashioned their feet into stocks. Now, we don't know where Luke and Timothy were at this time, because they were with him. But it's pretty clear that the only people being beaten and jailed were Paul and Silas. And we know this because Luke is writing, and he doesn't say we and us, he says them. So the language is pretty clear. This is just Paul and Silas. Timothy and Luke might have been in another part of the town, doesn't matter. Either way, they learned a pretty good lesson because they may have actually watched Paul and Silas being beaten. Now, we know that the beatings were not only severe, but they were meant to be publicly humiliating. So here's a couple things that you need to understand about this type of situation during this time. So Rome does not want to deal with competing, uh, competing religions. Rome doesn't want to de—now, think about this. They don't want to compete with uh, ideas that challenge them. They want their view and their view only, and everything else deserves to be beaten, shut down, driven out of the city. Starting to see a commonality here, right? So the beatings of this type were meant to be ridiculously humiliating and unbelievably painful. So the magistrates at this particular point in time would carry something called a Roman facis. Now, I almost made one of these, but I I figured that would be weird just to show you, but I thought it would be weird to just have you know, a legitimate beating rod somewhere in the building, <laughs> you know, it's just you know, not really, it might come in handy for marriage counseling, but I decided it probably wasn't a good idea to just make one. Um, so the basic idea behind this is when you think about being beaten with a rod, well, first let's get to the first part. The first they tore off their clothes. That's the humiliation part. They exposed you in front of everyone. We don't know if they were completely naked, but basically that was the normal process. You ripped off everything they had to completely expose them to everyone and embarrass them. Because I don't care who you are. I don't care how good a shape you're in. No one wants to be in that situation in the public square. Because everyone knows it's about to be happen, uh, what's about to happen, and it's going to get bad. So the purpose of tearing their clothes off was not 
just to expose them, but it was also to expose what was about to happen to them. Because if you beat someone with their clothes on, it doesn't look that bad. You might start to see blood, but it doesn't look that bad. When you beat someone with their clothes off, every, every lash, every, every hit is very, very apparent to everyone around them. And the Romans, above all, were really good at this. They were tremendously efficient at creating pain. So this Roman fastest, it wasn't just a rod. When you see the term beaten with rods, uh, you're thinking of a solid stick. Now, a solid stick is not something that you want to use as a magistrate because the point of a magistrate is to create so much pain in that person that they don't want to do this again. So what they did is they fastened these things, and there was basically roughly about a half inch or so rod in the middle, and then there were tiny rods wrapped around it. And then they would be tied together with leather. Now, I want you to think about something. Getting hit with a thick stick, I would rather get hit with a thick stick than this. A thick stick's probably going to knock you out. This kept you awake. You were coherent. It also allowed you to feel everything that would happen. Because what would happen is when that stick would hit you, it would hit you and then it would bend. And if you've ever seen a bundle of sticks bend, it opens. All the sticks running down, it opened just a little bit, and it's hit you hard enough so the skin goes in to the rod. And then when it comes back, the rod closes, but the rod has your skin. I told you the Romans were really good at this. The thin rods were also a lot more efficient at breaking the skin. Not creating big wounds, creating lots of little ones. Little slashes that would start to bleed. Start to get black and blue. Now imagine you're, you're watching this in the public square. And you're considering listening to the message of Paul and Silas. You're considering turning yourself over to Christ. You're considering becoming a Christian. Now all of a sudden, these Christians, whose God is so weak, that their God couldn't even protect them from this, because that's how they judged gods back then. The strong God would protect their people. Wouldn't let them go through this kind of thing. So the Roman gods were obviously very strong because Rome was strong. But the Christian God, look how weak the Christian God is. Not only is the Christian God so weak, look how pathetic these men are. We've beat them bloody. Their God did nothing. This was the idea. And it was very efficient at keeping people from turning to Christ. Because if you're watching that and you're on the fence and you're thinking, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing this. This is not going to happen. You know what this was the equivalent of? Cancel culture. Today. Oh, you want to be a biblical Christian. Oh, you want to be a Christian that actually follows the teachings of this book. I'm going to make your life so difficult in the public square. I'm going to make your life so difficult online. I'm going to make your life so difficult at work that the pain will overwhelm your desire to follow this God. I am going to beat you into submission on Facebook, on YouTube, in the workplace. I'm going to beat you into submission with critical race theory. I'm going to beat you into submission with everything that I can until the pain is so great you give up this nonsense and you do what I want you to do. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. They want to publicly humiliate you and cause you enough public bruising to make people on the fence walk away. 
You see, I told you, it's not about what we go through. It's how we respond. It's how we respond. And it's stuff that we should expect to have to go through. Jesus didn't hide any of this stuff from us. He told us this was going to happen. Modern persecution is a regular, it should be an expected part of the church. Think about this. Matthew 10, 22. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. Luke 21, 17. And you will be hated for my name's sake. Mark 13, 13. And you will be hated for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be be saved. Now I want you to think about something. Imagine you're out doing street ministry somewhere. Things are good. You, You see God moving. There's healing. And all of a sudden you healed the wrong person. And now you're dragged into the middle of the street, stripped naked, and beaten. We see that as unbelievable today. Pay attention to the news. It's not happening to Christians right now. Not everywhere. But it is happening to Jews on a regular basis. If it can happen to them and no one intervenes. Here's the most disgusting thing that I see on these news broadcasts. People with their phone videotaping someone being beaten, doing nothing. Doing nothing. Put the phone down and help. Just like you would want if it was happening to you. Could you imagine that happening to you and there's some guy laughing behind a phone? That's amazing. But that's what Paul and Silas went through. That's what they had to endure. It was basically the same thing. People laughing at them from the other side of rods. Having them tossed into jail. Now the person of the, of the church, persecution of the church today might not be as harsh, harsh as it was then, but we are definitely moving in that direction. And the reason we're moving in that direction is the same reason for the persecution of the church in the first century. I, 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 hope, I, I hope I can help you understand this. It's the same People are going to hate us today for the same reason that they hated them then. Let me help you explain. Let me help you by explaining. See, all the words are there. I just skip some in my own mind. It's fine. Yep, in my head, I've I've said them all. Um, Yeah, okay. Anyway, moving right along. Christianity does not leave room for other gods to be worshipped. Christianity doesn't leave room for other gods to be worshipped. That includes you, by the way. Because sometimes we're our own god. Christianity Christianity leaves no room for that. Christianity is not a forceful faith. But but listen listen to this. Christianity is not a forceful faith, but it is a completely intolerant faith. This is so hard to get a hold of sometimes. Christianity is an absolutely intolerant faith. God said you are either mine or not. There's no middle ground. And here's what Jesus says. When you bring the message of the gospel to someone and they turn it down, great. Dust your feet off and leave. Stop trying to beat them in submission. Stop trying to take them down with your gospel six guns. Right? He simply said, bring them the truth. If they don't want it, go. 
it's not up to us to save anybody. The message saves. Our job is to bring it, period. The problem is sometimes we don't want to take no for an answer. And you hear things like, well, they would have gotten saved if you'd done it right. What? I've heard so many different testimonies of people getting saved. They're so all over the place. I got to tell you, I've been in meetings where I've, 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 <laughs> Samantha will, will testify to this. I've done youth meetings when I was, when I was, when I was younger, kind of, kind of starting. And I'd preach it, I'd preach it, and it's like fiery. I was like, yeah, this was amazing. And you do an altar call and it's awesome. And like one five-year-old comes down and it's like, I'm going to get saved. Everybody else is like, you know, like a lot of you are right now. And I've also done meetings where I get done and I'm thinking, why would anyone be stupid enough to ask me to do that again? This was horrible. This was ridiculous. And I'm trying to close and I do this altar call and the altar call is pathetic. Pathetic. And half the room comes down and is crying all over the place. I'm just like, this is stupid. I'm going home. I think I know why God does that. It's to remind us that it isn't about us. It's got nothing to do with us. We're just the vessel. I'm a glass that gets filled with the water of life. My job is to pour it on something else. That's it. Some of us think we're the waterfall in the lake. Then it doesn't work. These other religions during Paul's time, if you wanted a different God, great. Maybe I'll worship your God too. How strong is your God? The only thing you wanted to know was, what would your God do for me? What's in it for me? What do I get? What do I get from worshiping your God? Let me translate that to today. What do I get for compromising on the word of God and allowing immoral lifestyles into the church? What do I get by compromising the word of God and selling you that you can get divorced 19 times? What do I get for compromising on the word of God and saying, yes, absolutely, go ahead and be a drunk, no problem? What do I get for compromising on the word of God and saying, yep, now that weed is legal, go for it. What do I get for compromising on the word of God and telling you don't worry about raising your kids? The school will take care of that. You know what I get? I get accepted by society and rejected by God. That's what I get. And that's not a trade-off I'm willing, I'm willing to take. I'd rather be rejected by society and accepted by God. And as Christianity starts to come forward, we say things that the world just can't handle. We say things that not only do we believe in one God, but we have the audacity to claim that no other faith is valid, that all other faiths are powerless, and following any other faith leads to judgment and hell. I read that in here. We say that the scriptures... What God calls his word are the standard by which we will be judged by. We also say it's the standard by which you will be judged whether you believe it or not. You may not believe in the Bible, but here's the, end, the, the truth at the end. You will be judged according to the text of scripture, period. I know that because scripture tells me. I don't have to believe it, but I will be judged by it. So ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is just ignorance. See, in essence, the problem with Christianity is Christianity. 
The problem is that we're not societally tolerant. Our faith does not change with the times. We don't update our beliefs because society has changed. We believe in that archaic old writing that's thousands and thousands of years old. Because God doesn't change. We're unwilling to compromise on the teachings of scripture. So that means when someone says, I don't see what the problem is, at least they love each other. We say it's got nothing to do with it. They might love each other, but they'll never be right with God. See, because acting on a sin based on your emotions is irrelevant. You're still acting on a sin. It doesn't matter if same-sex couple loves each other. It doesn't even matter if they're completely committed to each other for the rest of their life. It has been declared wrong by God. End of story. And by giving yourself over to that, it's just who I am. Okay, that's great. Let's take that same viewpoint and apply it to anything else. I'm just a thief. Just an adulterer. <laughs> Got to be true to myself. Just a murderer. You know what? I just Sometimes I just can't help myself. Do you see how ridiculous that is? Just got to be true to myself. I'm t- I just really enjoy human trafficking. You see, we would never go there. So why do we with other things? Because society is telling us what to do and we're agreeing. See, we have a single claim that there is only one way to heaven, that that way is faith in the Son of God, the Son of God who stepped out of heaven, lived among us, died on the cross of Calvary, rose from the grave. His name is Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah, period. That's it. That's Christianity in a nutshell. It doesn't change, no matter who wants it to change. And it doesn't matter what the trial is. That truth is the foundation of our worship. Now listen to this. When they got put in jail, something you want to remember is that when they got put in jail in the interior part of the prison, they put their feet in stocks, which were basically a bar that you'd change your feet to to the ground. You couldn't move your feet after that. That's going to get real uncomfortable real fast. They were probably still naked, and they were probably still bleeding, which means they're laying on sand, on really old human filth, and probably against a stone wall with their backs and their bodies beaten. This was done on purpose to continue the suffering of the individual. They're there, and this is what happens. Then the multitude, uh, uh, where am I, where am I? Yep, then the multitude rose up against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes. I'm way off on this one. Hold on a second. What did I just do? I know what I did. I can't count. That's what I did. I hit too many. Oh, no. I don't have that scripture there. I'm sorry. I'll just read it to you. It says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains were loosed. <laughs> this is crazy. So the easy route here to, is to talk about how worship frees the captive and opens doors, and that's great, that's encouraging, that's very Pentecostal and very overdone. Very overdone. That message is so overcooked. Here's what I want to ask you. Where does your worship come from? And what is the foundation that it is based on? Can you worship anywhere? Can you give thanks to God no matter what your decision is? Because you see, it's not the, it's not the worship that freed them. It's not the worship that went on. It was the foundation of worship that was in their hearts. That no matter what situation they found themselves in, God was still in control. 
beaten, bloody, on the ground, laid in filth, laying against a cold wall, probably in a lot of pain. Paul, Silas, looking at each other, it's midnight. Dude, I'm tired. I can't, I can't feel my legs. My whole body hurts. I don't know what's going on. I just, I just, I just don't, I just don't know if I can deal with this anymore. Paul, what do you think we should do? And Paul says, how about Amazing Grace, verse one? I imagine one of them went, oh, hey, that's probably not a bad idea. So from the foundation of worship, which is in them, which has nothing to do with their circumstances, they begin to give thanks to God for God giving them the right to be persecuted for his name's sake. You see, what started off as a victory of the enemy turned into an amazing victory of God. But you know why it was an amazing victory of God? Because the attitude of the believer that was in the midst of it. Not because of the way God came through, because of the attitude of the believer in the midst of it. God came through after. And God came through because. You want God to come through in your life? In your hard times, in your trials? Your attitude in the midst of those trials are going to have a lot to do with it. John 16.33 says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. And the most amazing thing that happened after that, and I'm going to end with this. <laughs> God is unbelievable sometimes. I love it. In verse 27, it says, And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. That's how serious a prison break was at that point in time. But Paul called out with a loud voice, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. You notice he didn't get up and walk out? He was free. Doors were open. What did he do? He stayed and waited for this guy to show up. He didn't change the situation it was in. He just simply changed his attitude within his situation. Some people say, Paul and Silas got up and walked right out of the prison. No, they didn't. They were escorted out of the prison by the guy who had beat them. Because the guy who had been, bar- been part of the ones beating him got saved. <laughs> I think that's unbelievable. It's amazing. Then he called for a light. He ran in and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. I bet he was. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, this, what must I do to be saved? Do you know how he knew what salvation was? Probably because that crazy girl who was yelling, these men are bringing salvation. He probably heard that. He's realizing it didn't make any difference what we did to these guys. Their God won. Their God just freed the captives. And it's funny that he didn't do it in public. He did it in private after his people began to worship him outside of their situation. What must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will, and you will be saved. You and your household. Listen to this. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house, which means he took them home. He took them home. He took two beaten, bloody, naked guys into their house in the middle of the night 
Ladies, your husband gets a call on the phone, got to go to the shop, something happened. He goes to work, comes back with two guys. How you feeling? He took them that same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. And when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. (laughs) This guy brings two people no one knows into his house, and his wife's thinking, what is going on? He goes, you need to make a meal for these guys. We're going to get them cleaned up. They're going to bring us salvation from their God. Knowing he just lost his job, he's probably going to get kicked out of the city, and he may be beat tomorrow because of what he's accepted. But because of the attitude of a worshiper in the midst of tribulation, God moved and the very people causing the pain are the ones who got saved because God's people were willing to walk through the trouble and not skirt around it or complain their way through it. So in the world that we're living in today, when you feel the need to lash out against those who are lashing out against you, stop, wait. They may be beating you with sticks, They may be trying to cancel you. They may be trying to humiliate you and cause you pain. Don't worry about it. Your attitude might save their soul. If we just keep our heads about us, let them do whatever they're going to do and wait for God to move. And then when God moves, you get to be there to say, don't worry about it. I know exactly what's happening. Let me explain to you what's going on in your life right now because God's got something for you. How can you bring me such hope? I beat you bloody. It's got nothing to do with it. It's got nothing to do with it because I'm responsible for beating Christ bloody. He still saved me. So I'm going to do the same thing for you. Worship has nothing to do with our circ. It's about God. It's not about our circumstances. So if your foundation is right, worship is just a natural reaction. So embrace the difficult times because amazing things happen from them. Amen. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for what you're continually doing in our lives. As the world around us continues to get increasingly hostile towards us because of your name, we ask that we be empowered by you with the same sense of worship that you gave Paul and Silas. Help us to disconnect our faith from our circumstances so that we can see you for who you truly are. Help us to see you, to trust you, and to worship you beyond the situation we find ourselves in. When things are good, Lord, let us be thankful. And when things are bad, Lord, let us be thankful. Because you always come through no matter what. Father, we place our trust in you. We place our hope in you. We commit ourselves to the teachings of your word. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Lord bless you. Have a great day. I'll see you next week if I don't see you on Wednesday night.